Welcome to the Heartbreak to Happiness Show with Sarah Davison. If you're struggling with a breakup and you feel shocked, angry, betrayed, devastated, or sad and alone, then this podcast is for you. Best-selling author and award-winning host Sarah Davison shares how you too can get on with your life to heal, grow, and move from heartbreak to happiness. Here's your host, Sarah Davison. Welcome back to the show. And today, my guest is Sherry Garber. Sherry is a licensed psychotherapist and life coach who helps people cope with codependency, love addiction, toxic relationships, and mental health issues. Sherry is also the author of a book called Love Smacked and is a contributing writer to the amazing book Chicken Soup for the Soul and Tough Times, Tough People. So I am super excited to welcome Sherry Gubba to the show. Welcome, Sherry. Hi, Sarah. Thank you for having me. I'm really honored to be here, and I'm, I just love what you're doing in the world. It's just great. Oh, well, I love what you're doing, and I think a lot of my listeners are really going to love this episode. So, I mean, I've got so many questions for you, but let's kick off with what do you mean by love addiction, and, and what are some of the signs and the symptoms that if someone is an addict of love, what would they be experiencing? So a lot of people know about substance abuse, right? Drugs or alcohol, but love addiction is a process addiction. It's a lifestyle or soft addiction. So when you think of things like food or binge eating or internet or debting or texting, and in this case, love, it's a, it's a process addiction. It, it's a behavioral addiction. And um, it has some of the same components. So when somebody is going through withdrawal from a drug addiction, someone who's a love addict goes through the same withdrawal. They, they, um, their body's kind of going through the same sort of process. And so when a breakup occurs, they're longing for that attachment, that pleasurable feeling they got from that lost relationship. Um, they often are individuals who are, really love romance. They have um, usually an anxious attachment style. They're very obsessive. They also cross a lot of their own boundaries. So they adapt to what other people want. Why? Because they're willing to settle for less because the idea of being alone is so scary to them. They usually have abandonment issues. They're always trying to change someone to meet their illusion of who they want someone to be rather than accepting who someone is. They need others to feel whole. They look for others for affirmation and worth. They fear abandonment. Um, And again, they have the same kind of withdrawal symptoms and they really give up who they are uh, because they just don't want to be alone. I mean, that's fascinating. I think some of my listeners might be resonating with that. I mean, is that what you would define a toxic relationship then? If you were, I mean, or people like that, I guess they can find healthy relationships. So how would you define I mean, I think it's toxic. I think also when pe- most people, when they think of toxic, they think of narcissistic abuse or domestic violence, which is absolutely toxic. But love addicts are very susceptible and vulnerable to a toxic relationship because they're so uh, insecure. They have low self-esteem. And by the way, this isn't to shame or blame anybody, any of your listeners. This is just to help them kind of understand. You know, when I wrote my book, Love Smack, talked about my multiple relationships, my love addiction, my codependency, because I really wanted to eradicate the shame because there are reasons that we get into these relationships one after the other. But we know we're in a toxic relationship if we're um, constantly ruminating over that person, we're very obsessive, we're worrying about the partner, we're worrying about every little thing that happens, they might, they're going to leave us, they don't want us. 
Um, and then we give up who we are to be with that person. And then um, this, this definitely leads to a toxic relationship. So if you're in a toxic relationship, you know to really, you know, to settle changes. If they don't text you, um, you get all insecure, you're all worried, where are they? You know, and that goes into that anxious attachment style. You walk out of eggshells. After so many fights that have drained you, you feel, you know, and, and you're exhausted, you really want some peace, but there really is no peace in a toxic relationship. Um, you're always trying to anticipate what they might think or say to avoid triggering a fight. Hence, you begin to feel like you're always walking on eggshells. And then you feel guilty about everything because when you're in a toxic relationship, you feel like you're the guilty one because narcissists in particular, they always have to be right. They lack empathy and you're always the one that's wrong. So one of the sure signs of a toxic person is they don't take responsibility for their actions and they always shift the blame onto you. And in this case, on the partner. So if you're wondering if you're in a toxic relationship, just take a look at the distribution of responsibility and the guilt in your daily interactions with them. And you're constantly fighting. Um, you know, was there ever a time when you actually got along without fights? Was, was that also the time when your toxic partner was for some reason at peace or happy? Or is it just always this up and down sort of thing going on? Very manipulative, very controlling. Um, they make decisions for you. They, they're, they're ext extremely controlling. They dominate you. They decide, you know, what you're going to wear, um, how your hair is going to look, what you're going to do for a living, what friends you're going to have. They tend to isolate you. And a lot of this is, again, very similar to what a domestic violence relationship would look like. A lot of yelling, insulting words, criticism, God forbid, physical injuries, a lot of disrespect, dishonesty, betrayal. You know, dishonesty is one of the signs of a toxic relationship for sure that can manifest itself into uh, the behavior of your partner. Dishonesty can really take many forms. And then you have this lack of self-care. You stop taking care of yourself. You stop taking care of your mental health, your physical health. Um, and then, um, you know, you just kind of lose yourself in the relationship. Gosh, I mean, so much information there. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I mean, toxic relationships sound horrendous and they are horrendous. I'm, I'm a survivor of abuse and I know how difficult it can be. It sort of begs the question of how do we get into those relationships right in the beginning? Well, it's called love bombing. So love bombing is where when you first meet someone, um, you're, they sweep you off your feet. You know, you feel very, at first it's very fun. It's very exciting. But then they really kind of go overboard. They're showering you with all kinds of affection and admiration. And it's very exhilarating. They're sending you lavish gifts, giving you cards. You know, love bombing often involves over-the-top gestures. You know, they're, they're sending you bouquets of flowers. They're buying you expensive plane tickets. Um, you know, most often love bombing is done by a narcissist with the attempt of drawing you in and gaining control over you. That's how they do it. They compliment you. Um, I remember dating someone that told me they were going to marry me on the first date, which of course was a little unrealistic. They tell you that they love everything about you. They've never met anyone as perfect as you. You're the only person they want to spend time with. They bombard you with phone calls and texts. Um, they want your undivided attention. So as soon as you aren't giving them that attention, they, they feel very, um, they start to become more controlling, more manipulative. You know, they say things to you like, we were born to be together. It's fate that we met. You understand me more than anyone. We're soulmates. And then they want commitment right away. Um, and then the biggest hallmark of really a, a toxic relationship is when you try to set a boundary and they don't go for that. They do not like boundaries. Boundaries are not their friend. So um, you'll know for sure that you're dealing with someone very toxic if you try to hold a boundary and they give you a really hard time. 
It's so true. It's so true. Boundaries just get withered away. So until you've got none, you know, quite often right. by the end of the relationship. So, I mean, okay. So, we, I mean, I can see how we get in then from that explanation of the love bombing and, and we don't know, but then how do we actually become, you know, addicted to staying in that relationship? Well, you know, as I said earlier, a history of toxic relations with our parents will usually lead us to attract men or women with whom we, we can recreate that familiar toxic cycle. So our destiny is really dictated by that sub subconscious desire to somehow resolve those unresolved issues, such as trauma. Like myself, I came from trauma. I was premature. I was in an incubator. I did not get bonding or attachment for the first three months of my life. So if a parent isn't there for you, and it could be, in my case, it was not their fault. Of course, then my mother was sort of unavailable even after I came home from the hospital. But you could come from a home where there's alcoholism or addiction or parents that are divorced. They just, they just don't, they're not physically or emotionally available for you. So, you know, if they're not available for you, that you don't get that bonding, you don't get that connection. You don't even know who you are everything becomes very outside focused because you don't, you really learn who you are through the bonding you receive from your, from your parents. So the truth is it all stems from how we were raised and the relational experience we had as children. And it begins if we're, you know, properly able to develop self-esteem or a positive self image or self-love, but generally you're not going to get that if you have parents that neglected you. So the point then is not our addiction to external toxic relationships, but our addiction to something that runs much deeper. And that's our addiction to a toxic relationship with ourselves. Um, the relationship could have started from the very moment we were born. And in my case, and it would have been heavily influenced by the relationships we had with our parents and the relationships we witness, uh, you know, witness them having with each other. So we get to know and become very familiar with toxic relationships during our formative years so that by adulthood, we find ourselves uh, only being attracted to that kind of relationship. You know, it kind of, we, we become addicted to what gives us pain, like a toxic relationship. Um, and subconsciously, we're searching for that next high. We search for that experience of that neurotic pain from our past. It's kind of crazy, but that's, that's really what it is. We're looking for what we didn't get. And then somehow, if we can make that partner who we want them to be, we can fix what we didn't get early on, which of course is impossible. Mm. Gosh, I mean, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, how, how do you know then whether you are actually in love and it's a healthy relationship or it's more of an unhealthy obsession then? So I talk a lot about this in my book, Love Smacked, um, but in healthy relationships, you know, couples first meet, they idealize each other, they're forming an attachment, but then love matures and it becomes less intense, more secure, trust develops alongside love. People with love addiction never get, get past that initial stage of falling in love. They continue to idealize the person they're in love with. They never feel secure enough to trust them. And then they become dependent on the person they love in a very unrealistic way, hoping that person's going to create some kind of happily ever after, which of course is really unrealistic to expect anyone is going to create that for us. So inevitably they're disappointed, doesn't work out, then they go to the next person and it's just the cycle repeats itself. Their relationships are utterly never truly satisfying, yet they can't seem to live without someone. And they're not based on healthy bonds, but more on a psychological bondage. Mm, I mean, that's that's really interesting. So so it's this kind of obsession that, that sort of developed. So, so where does that come from? It's really just an attempt to recover the losses of our early childhood. That really, that's really what it is. Um, 
you know, if you've had caregivers who were unavailable physically, emotionally, or neglected or abused, you know, you're not going to have what you need. And so that's what is going to be considered normal to you. Someone who is unavailable, who isn't physically there for you. Um, and that, that's really how it starts. I mean, it mm. really is um, this obsession to fix what you didn't get earlier on. And any relationship to you feels better than being single. Yeah, I mean, some people, and I know some of my listeners will be thinking, I don't like being single. I like to be in a relationship. But sometimes being in a relationship doesn't make you happy. So, I mean, how do people learn about this? I guess the media, does, does it portray these obsessive relationships? Is it there? I mean, I know there's more dramas at the moment in the UK about um, coercive control and emotional abuse. But what yeah. about this obsessive behaviour? Are you struggling to cope with your breakup or divorce? Are you feeling devastated, heartbroken, sad and anxious? If so, please know that you are not alone and there is help available. Sarah Davison, best known as the Divorce Coach, and her team of accredited coaches are here to offer you the support and guidance you need to navigate all areas of your breakup take back your control and start feeling happy again. Sarah will show you how to dial down those controlling negative emotions, unhook from your ex, get back in the driving seat of your life and design a future you are excited to live. Sarah has a range of solutions to support any breakup, including free guides, one-to-one coaching, her Heartbreak to Happiness virtual retreats, live retreats, and you can even train to be a breakup and divorce coach with Sarah too. Visit www.saradavison.com today and start to feel happy again. How do people learn about this? I guess the media, does, does it portray these obsessive relationships? Is it there? I mean, I know there's more dramas at the moment in the UK about um, coercive control and emotional abuse. But what yeah. about this obsessive behavior? Well, you know, I, I, think, I think of my own granddaughter. She's going to be six years old and all of her little princesses. I mean, there's more princesses and I can't even believe there's, you know, pr Princess Ariel and Princess, I can't even remember all the princesses. When I grew up, there was just Cinderella or Snow White. Now there is, you know, all, so it starts very young. And then you think of the music that we listen to all we, these, the music we listen to is, it's very codependent, very love addicted, you know, it's especially country music. And then you, you know, if I, I'm going to date myself, but if you go back even farther, you think about um, movies like Fatal Attraction or the movie that Beyonce was in called Obsession. I mean, those definitely play on this kind of um, obsessive love or, in the case of the princesses, you know, someone's going to like sweep us off our feet and then everything's going to be okay. Somehow that man or woman is going to make us feel whole and going to like, and that really is just, um, you know, it's pathological really. Yeah. And you know, the fairy tales, I guess it's, it's, yeah, it's what we grow up with, isn't it? Yeah. So what are some of the signs people are listening? You know, what are the signs to look out for the red flags, maybe that you're getting a bit too obsessed? So when you first meet someone, you'll, you'll fall in love instantly. You'll think about them constantly. You'll fantasize about a future together. You'll, over, you'll overwhelm your partner with attention. You'll feel it's your responsibility to fix your partners and make them perfect. You're not your authentic self with your partner. You're always trying to change yourself or change them to fit this fantasy or illusion that you have. 
You're very hypervigilant. You overreact to the slightest sign that your partner is no longer interested and you feel empty, lost, and unworthy if you're not in a relationship. And that's why you're always looking for the next relationship. Oh, I guess it's interesting because when you meet somebody, you fall in love. You do have that honeymoon period, don't you, where everything is wonderful, I guess. So, I mean, we don't want to take away from that. People start thinking, gosh, I don't, I'm, I'm not supposed to be enjoying the honeymoon period so much. No, it's, it's kind of a, a balancing act. It's like, yes, you can be excited, but there has to be some kind of steadiness, you know, some kind of balance, some kind of evenness eventually. It's not, you know, you're not on this high all the time. I mean, yes, at first it's very exciting, but then, you know, it's supposed, it's supposed to mature and it's supposed to become, um, you know, less intense, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we overcome that addiction then? If, if we find that that's something that we are dealing with, how do we move through that and overcome it? So we start looking at every relationship that enters our life as an opportunity to heal and grow. So again, like I said at the beginning of the interview, I don't want any of your listeners to feel ashamed. This is an opportunity to learn about themselves. Um, our focus really has to shift from the outside in. You know, every relationship is manifested into our lives to mirror the relationship we have with ourselves. You know, first it starts with our, our family of origin, and then it becomes, you know, do we have self-esteem or do we have a, a toxic relationship with ourselves? You know, if we're attracting toxic relationships or nurturing our addiction to them, it's because first and foremost, we probably have a toxic relationship with ourselves, meaning low self-esteem, not, there's not a connection with ourselves. We don't have an intimate relationship with ourselves. Um, so when we, you know, once we, we get addicted, um, we just have to really investigate the roots of this. You know, what is that shadow side of ourselves? What is that side of ourselves that we, that we're running from, you know, be, be aware that healing and addictive or toxic relationship with ourselves doesn't happen overnight. It's a process and we have to accept and welcome the process. And it's a constant work in progress It's we're uncovering and resolving a lot of our toxic childhood experiences, our conditioning, our limiting beliefs, Real important, we got to start building a connection with ourselves, our healthy self. Um, you know, at the beginning, this might be more, you know, in our minds, but eventually we have to really energetically sort of connect with ourselves, um, really see how we feel in our physical body. Um, you know, if we have a history of trauma, we're very out of touch with our physical body. We might have disassociated from ourselves. So that's why a lot of the work I do with my clients is really helping them with their trauma because once we release that old trauma and we get in touch with our, ourselves, then we, we can actually have an intimate relationship with somebody else. So we just really need to recondition ourselves and become addicted to our healthy self, um, who of course, for all of us is very valuable and very vibrant and definitely strong. Mm. I mean, that's, that's an interesting challenge to, to swap that addiction over. So, so what you're saying, though, is that trauma has a lot to do with that being addicted, being a love addict, and, and you know, has a big uh, impact on whether we're looking for those codependent relationships. That's exactly right. You know, if you're a victim of trauma, you have a very false reality of, of those around you. Um, you don't even know who the real, your real self is. You know, if you've been neglected you feel invisible. So everything becomes very other focused. You don't even, you don't trust yourself. You don't trust your emotions. You know, a lot of people that go through divorce, they say, you know, I don't trust myself. I don't even know, you know, who I'm picking, what I'm picking. And that's why you really got to get connected to you so that you can really know who you are. And, and, and then once you know who you are, you'll know, you'll, you'll be able to trust yourself. They'll just be, you know, where you are right now, right after divorce is going to be different than where you are six months. Um, and the reason being, again, you know, you felt invisible and then you get in this marriage, you might've been neglected or abused. 
you're following a pattern maybe of, of your childhood. And then you learn to focus on everything around you rather than your own needs. So it's really about having this intimate relationship with yourself. Um, you know, it's difficult to have an intimate relationship with another person. Um, and if you and if you don't have that connection with yourself, you know, you're definitely not going to be able to have that with somebody else. So early trauma just carries a profound sense of shame. And the shame is rooted in that childhood programming of that dysfunctional and faulty self. So we've got to work through the shame, work through the limiting beliefs, really dive into that early trauma stuff um, and release it. I mean, you talk in your book about trauma bonding. Tell us a bit about that and what that means. So trauma bonding, there's different types. So there can be the kind where you meet someone who's sort of uh, had the same issues you had growing up. You both might have had abandonment issues. So you sort of find each other. You're almost like two little people in a, in a, in a playpen together. Um, the other kind, it's it, trauma survivors are magnetized to each other. And that's really what a trauma bond is. So one is very aggressive, the other is overly passive, one is controlling, the other is accommodating, and that's why codependents are often attracted to narcissists. They end up manipulating each other to get their needs met. One needs constant validation, and the other one, um, we call it a narcissistic supply need, so they need constant attention, and the other one needs to be needed, so that's kind of how they find each other. Um, one is constantly uh, giving valid, you know, one often wants validation and then the other one needs, well, one has sort of a pathological need to be validated. And then the other one um, needs, like I said, that attention. Um, the partner that needs the validation feels all their early abandonment triggers. Um, and they're, they're always looking on the outside for that validation. And then the narcissist often stops invalidating stops love bombing so then there's this crazy making like they're giving there there's a cycle like they're really loving and then they take it away they're really loving then they take it away so the trauma bond sort of creates this addiction to oh i just want that that person that i met back i want that person who did all that love bombing that that's really what a trauma bond is there's this cognitive dissonance where one minute they're one way the next minute they're another way and that's they're trying to keep you they're trying to keep you off your game that, that is their goal. That is what a toxic person wants to do. They want to keep you off your game so you feel insecure and so that they can really control and manipulate you. Yeah, and, that, and that's what happens. And you see that naturally. There's that natural attraction, even though those relationships are very toxic between codependents and narcissists. They just they find each other. You know, it, it seems kind of cliche, but it really is. The good girls addicted to the bad boy. It's a very real part of, of women across the, the world. You know, in my practice as a therapist, I see this all the time with individuals with, with codependency who find themselves getting into relationships with narcissists over and over again. Yeah. So, I mean, I know a lot of my listeners will fall into that mold. I know I did for a while. You know, what are the boundaries then? If people are listening, thinking, well, how do I create some boundaries with a narcissist? Is that even possible, Sherry? Well, first of all, just don't justify, explain, or defend yourself. Narcissists use scrutiny, bullying, intimidation to make others second guess themselves. They do a lot of gaslighting. So, you know, you're going to want to be defensive. Don't be defensive. Um, doing so gives them a feeling of power and control. Part of boundary setting is the right to decide what you share with others. The less you share, particularly personal information, the less a narcissist has to use against you. You don't need to justify your thoughts, your feelings, or actions to an intrusive narcissist. If a narcissist criticizes you, you can say something like, I hear your opinion, and I'll consider that. Or if they question your actions, you could say, I'm confident in my own choice. 
if they demand an explanation, say that's personal, or we'll have to agree to disagree. Um, and just leave when it doesn't feel healthy. You don't need anyone's per permission to exit a destructive interaction. Um, you, not others, get to determine what is healthy for you. Um, you can glance at your watch and say, oh, look at the time, I'm late, and then leave. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Every moment you remain in the presence of a controlling or abusive person makes you just farther and farther from taking care of your healthier self. You know, your, your cell phone can be a helpful prop. No, nobody can know for sure whether you received a call. You can say, I'm sorry, I've just got a call and leave. Decide in advance how many minutes you want to give a narcissist and set your phone or watch alarm off. When the alarm sounds, excuse yourself. I know these sound sort of manipulative, but you know, if you're in danger or you're being manipulated or abused, you need to stay safe. You know, confront the unhealthy treatment by saying something like, I'm going to excuse myself. We can take another time when you're ready for a constructive conversation. This is not healthy. I will not participate in this kind of dialogue. You know, decide what you will tolerate, what you won't tolerate. You know, a key component of setting healthy boundaries is knowing when to say no and doing so and, and sticking to them, knowing what your preferences, preferences are, you know, asking yourself, what are you willing to accept from others and what are you not? Um, you may be okay with a good natured, good natured banter, but not sarcasm. You may be fine with passionate expressions of opinions, you know, but not name calling or bullying. I mean, I was in a relationship with someone where we had completely different political views. And as soon as I had an opinion, I was, he made me wrong. He didn't want to hear it. And he called me names and it just was unacceptable. Um, the political arena, the way it is today, that's, a, you know, you can really figure out who a narcissist is when they don't allow you to have your own opinions. Um, you know, you can say, if you continue to call me names, I will end this conversation. You don't need to explain further. If a narcissist's aggressive behavior continues, you can leave or hang up. You know, refuse to engage in further interaction, no matter what they do or say. And when you set such boundaries, narcissists may cycle through their repertoire of arguing, blaming, minimizing your feelings, acting like the victim, saying that you're too sensitive or becoming rageful. And whilst such tactics can be very unpleasant to endure, your boundaries are not up for discussion. So, um, you know, it's basically taking the bully by the horns. Um, narcissists hunger for attention and approval to counteract deep their own feelings of emptiness and unworthiness. Narcissists are also very, very insecure and have their own uh, abandonment issues. So as a result, they endlessly test to see what they can get away with. You know, they're testing you to see if you're going to leave them. Um, and one way to meet this is to call, call them out on their behavior. You know, are you trying to put me down and make me feel bad? I noticed that when I begin to talk, you interrupt me. Say such, you know, say things in a really matter of fact way. It doesn't matter how they respond. Be content in knowing that you have named what is happening and leave it at that. I mean, yeah, I guess though, on, you know, I'm the patron of a domestic abuse charity. We've got to make sure people are safe to do those things. I mean, that, that matters, right? Yeah. So obviously doing it as long as you feel safe to do so and there's no risk to your to your safety uh, yeah i mean great advice i mean you know when you're trying to establish boundaries with a narcissist is going to be difficult and you may not feel like you're winning at times right but if, if people are thinking show okay i'm done with trying to set boundaries it's really not working they're withering away just being in this relationship what are some of the first steps that people can take to actually breaking free from this kind of relationship well, all, yeah just being here right now in this you know, podcast and listening is a great start. You're, you're understanding what toxic relationships look like. Getting a good therapist. Do I have trauma? Do I have family of origin issues that I need to work on? Um, do I need to join a support group? It's a process. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not a quick fix. 
but the first step always is this presence and this understanding and then this acknowledgement. Okay, I get it. I'm in a toxic relationship. I, I get it. Now, how can I seek help? And there's so much out there today. There's so much help out there to really help you um, work through a, a toxic relationship. So I have my book, Love Smacked, which is on Amazon. And then I want to offer everybody a free ebook, which is called Narcissistic Partners and Obsessive Love. And it's free. And it also comes with a quiz to see if you are in an obsessive or narcissistic relationship. And that link, and I think you'll have it in the show notes, is sherrygaba.com forward slash N as in Nancy P quiz. So that's S-H-E-R-R-Y-G-A-B-A.com forward slash NP quiz. And then for your listeners, um, Sarah, I'm offering my group online coaching program. It's a membership and it has all kinds of lessons in there, video lessons, unbelievable expert interviews. Uh, once a month we do live group coaching and I'm offering it for a dollar trial. And then it goes to $27 a month. So it's a wonderful way to just start understanding codependency, love addiction, and toxic love. Awesome. Well, lots of amazing resources there. I want to give the, give the caveat that not always do you come from an abusive childhood. Sometimes you just meet a narcissist. Sometimes you're just a very loving, compassionate, kind person, and you get drawn in by a really awful person, a monster. So I just don't want people to think, well, I had a great childhood. Like this, this isn't me. Most often it's a replication of your childhood, but sometimes it can just be you ran into the wrong person. So I just want people to know that too. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to know that if you are in a toxic relationship, it's not your fault, guys. I mean, it's not your fault. Um, you know, you may be more attracted to those people than, than maybe more healthier partners for you, but it's not your fault. So yeah, seeking the right help to, to get out and, and safety planning as well is going to be key. Um, I have one last question for you that I ask all my podcast guests, Sherry. Um, my podcast is called Heartbreak to Happiness. And I think it's really important to know what happiness is for you along the way. So if you are going through, you know, some of these really toxic relationships, you can still dip in and out of happiness and recognize it as you go through. So what is happiness for you, Sherry? You know, happiness is understanding and truth. You know, once you understand yourself, you get to be truthful with yourself and then you can live a really authentic life, you know, and that to me is true, true happiness. No, oh, and probably your two little dogs that have made a, a visit out and uh, oh, yeah. on the YouTube as well. They've been potting yeah. around behind you. Adorable, adorable. Well, thank you so much. You've been a fabulous guest, shared so much information that I know people were found really interesting. Thank you, Sherry, for joining me today. Of course. Thank you, Sarah, for having me. That's it for today's episode. Do head on over to sherrygarber.com and check out her free ebook as well. And I look forward to you joining me on my next episode. That's it for today's episode of Heartbreak to Happiness. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review to win a free ticket to one of Sarah's virtual retreats. The retreats are a transformative combination of live webinars with Sarah herself, coupled with empowering online video programs designed to help you cope better with your breakup and start feeling happy again. For more details, head on over to heartbreaktohappinesspodcast.com, where you can also get a copy of Sarah's free gift. Thank you and join us again on the next episode for another dose of Heartbreak to Happiness.